Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range. Two of those companies have made the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. And I can't tell you how important it is for businesses to have a line of credit so they can make an investment in their business or even for unexpected emergencies. I can't tell you how many times over my career I've had to dip into my line of credit for some whatever reason. And I wish 15 years ago I had a line of credit that was uncollateralized like the one we offer. Uh, It would have made things a lot easier for me. Um, our line of credit program is easy to get in place, inexpensive when used, and costs nothing to set up, making it a great cash backup plan. If you'd like to learn more about the, our line of credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com, or give us a call at 862 207 4118. Just remember the time to set up a line of credit is when you don't need it. So when you do need it, it is ready to go and approved. Today, I am super excited to be speaking with Donna Griffith from Donna Griffith Corporate Storytelling. Donna uh, uh, Griffith has worked globally for over 17 years with Fortune 500 companies, startups, and investors in a wide variety of industries. She has consulted and trained clients in over 30 countries helping them create, edit, and deliver verbal and written presentation pitches and messages. Donna has the ability to magically spin raw data into compelling stories that captivate audiences and drive results. Through her guidance, clients have raised over $1 billion. Donna, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So today's topic, storytelling for startup pitching, you know, uh, a lot of this podcast is geared toward existing business owners, not so much startup, but, but you know, you're, no matter what business you're in, no matter what phase you are, are in, you're always making some type of pitch, right? It, it yep. could be a website. It could be you're trying to get more funding through angel funding. You're, you're, you're making a pitch to your bank, right? Uh, <laughs> it, it, there's always something that you're trying to communicate, uh, um, Am I accurate in saying that? Absolutely, and and storytelling is such a key part of it. And and honestly, you know, your your target audience, who we hope are going to go out and and cross that threshold of the high revenue companies, oftentimes need funding in order to scale. So right. I do work with a lot of later stage startups. It's not just startups that have an idea in a garage. It's it's people that are really um, uh, hustling and growing and being really scrappy. Um, so, so yeah, it's, 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 storytelling is such a powerful tool for all phases of a business. Now you, who usually brings you on first? Is it, is it, is it always the owner of the company? Um, no, it's, uh, oftentimes an investor in the company. They'll be uh, like, yeah, our, they're, they're, they're a great company. They can't tell their story to save their lives or uh, some other stakeholder, someone on their board, um, their CMO who's struggling. Um, but most often it'll be the CEO of a company. Do they, do they, do they ever say to you, we want to redo our website and we want to really drive home a certain message. We want it to really pop. Do you have assignments like that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, storytelling works whether it's written or whether it's spoken. So your website is not just there as a placeholder. It has a lot of power to grab people's attention and make them want to take the next step. So it's super important what you put there and how you tell your story. So what 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 makes someone like yourself? I mean, what makes you a, a really good storyteller? If we'll use that word. Um, pardon me for a second. They're uh, cutting the grass outside. I don't know if you're hearing this. <laughs> it's it's very it's very light. Don't worry about it. You it's probably very light. Hear, it's very light. You're probably hearing the birds in the background More? on my place. Okay, yeah, I so. just wanted to make sure. Sorry about that. Okay, okay. going on. So, want to ask the question again? So, I mean, what makes a really great storyteller? Um, <laughs> well, I kind of see myself as a chameleon sometimes. I am able to become an actual member of the team while also being in the position of the listener. So the, the investor, the potential client, the potential partner, the potential employee even. And I have this dialogue between the two sides. And I think, okay, if I were an investor, what would I be asking? What are the, 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 the kind of red flags coming up for me? And then I work to create the answers that answer the questions before they even come up. So it's, I always kind of jokingly say that I have a filter in my brain that's backed by artificial intelligence and machine learning that knows how to just take data, synthesize it, and bring out a coherent, powerful story that, that really drives to results, whatever your result might be. So I just, it just get it fast. I, I don't know how it works, but it just works. So it's really an exciting uh, gift. You, you think that... Um... Empathy really plays a big part of it because, you know, when you're empathetic, you're, you're thinking about how someone else is feeling, right? But in this case, you're thinking about what type of questions someone would ask. What would they be thinking of? I'm thinking of buying that product or making an investment in the company. So I, I think you have to have a skill set to, to be not someone who's always in your own head, but that you're always thinking about somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, put me aside for a second. I think that empathy is a massive part in storytelling and in creating great messages that really drive results because you want to put yourself in the position of your audience, of your investor and think through their eyes. It's not about you. It's about their needs, their wants, uh, their strife, their hope and how you can address that. So um, maybe being an empathetic person helps me better get into that. Um, but for whatever, yes, empathy is something that if you're not, you should work. It's muscle that you can. So it's really just like doing a 180, sitting down in their seat and looking at the world through their eyes. So I want to like kind of go behind the scenes a little bit and and kind of understand how you work. And, and that is, you know, we said that you're probably or anybody who does this type of work has to be empathetic, which is, you know, you know, thinking about the other person, what they're thinking through. But when, once you get an assignment, let's say a company is trying to raise money, right? What are some of the things that, that you do to kind of make sure that you can get the final product? Uh, you know, what are some of the steps? So first of all, um, I give my clients prep work. Uh, I have a cheat sheet. 
for either a sales deck or an investor deck that helps them gather the data in a very clear way. Think of it in a way as I'm about to cook you a phenomenally delicious meal. I'm giving you the grocery list. You're going to go to Whole Foods and pick out premium ingredients, and then I will do the actual cooking. So they come to me with the ingredients and I I cook it. I, I, I do the storytelling on the spot within the session. And then they can taste and say it needs more salt, needs more pepper. So we do iterations on the spot. I want it to be really their message. I'm kind of the conduit that, that's bringing it out and making it happen. Um, so, so they need to bring me the data and then I'm able to take it, look at it and say, okay, this goes here, this goes there. I would ask that. Oh, here's how I'd start off telling your story. There's a few different narratives going on in my brain. Here's one, here's the other. What do you gel with more? So it's a very collaborative process. And if it all, all the pieces come together, it's done in two hours in real time. And uh, I mean, I would assume that you're, you're probably an excellent writer too. Is that, that's probably a big part of it, right? Do you know what's funny? I never thought of myself as a writer until I realized, yeah, I'm I'm actually writing people's things. So it's not that I think I'm a poet or a novelist, but it's more about being able to write conversationally. Um, There's all this conversational intelligence and bots and everything, and it's being able to show how I've been doing that for years with people, helping make them more conversational and explain it in a way that everyone gets and everyone connects to, whether it's someone with a degree in computer science or not. You can't talk over their head. So it's really hitting on their, their mind, their heart, and their gut at the same time. Have you found that there are certain industries that um, I, I see how I could word this that you you really 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 understand, but then you'll get a couple of assignments in industries that you haven't really done very much with. Mm-hmm. Um, does, I, I guess that would require more prep work. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I've really worked with so many different industries that it's it's helped me kind of prepare for other presentations. So I know a lot about a certain market and that gives me insight into others. There's always new and emerging technology. So several years ago when blockchain and crypto came out, I was stumped. It was completely new. I knew nothing about it. So I actually hired somebody to kind of do some some catch-up courses on what blockchain is, what crypto is, how it works. So I understood I was missing a gap. And and I wasn't afraid to admit. It. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a engineer, and I'm not a, a data scientist, and and I need to get up to speed. So, uh, but what's great is once I get it and can explain it from my very layperson place, I know that anyone will be able to. It, it must be. Fu- I'm just thinking about. It must be so funny fun. with some clients that you you've dealt with uh-huh. that are just so out there. They're oh. so smart, right? So and, but they can't, but they can't communicate yeah. out of a bag, you know, no. they're just I'm like so really true. bad. And some of the really brilliant ones, um, it just, it, it, that's the more brilliant, the less they are able yeah. to communicate. Um, and you just see these brains that are moving a bazillion miles an hour and they, 
can't get how somebody doesn't get what is so clear to them. (laughs) So it's really, and and then at some point, either somebody will have told them it's not working or they get it um, and and they're open to get it. And you got to be really careful because I don't want to insult anyone. I don't want you to feel you know, dumb or anything, but it's, and they're in good company, honestly. Yeah. Um, talking about our own product and our own services is probably the hardest thing to, to, to do. Yeah, really that's, a, that's a good segue into one of the questions I was going to ask you. And that is, you know, why is it hard? What, why did we need, we, I say, you know, like me, if I were to hire you, um, why do we need someone like yourself as a storyteller? Um, when, you know, we, Let's say I'm I'm a very empathetic person. I, I know I feel like I know what my customers want. Um, I um, I uh, can I'm not a good writer, so that's that's, mm-hmm. that's the first that's thing. I'm one, not a good writer, right? Um, so why do we need someone from the outside telling us? You know, the, putting this type of stuff together, rather it be a presentation, website improvement, whatever. Well, I'll. I'll- give you a different life example. So um, I do not do my own taxes. I hate taxes. I am not good at it. I'm not good at numbers and I hate bureaucracy and files. I am so incredibly grateful and happy to pay my CPA and my bookkeeper to do things that would probably take me 80 times longer and be ridden, riddled with mistakes. Um, for me, I can digest and and repurpose the words into a really powerful story in two hours in real time alongside the person. Two hours, when usually companies are spending hours, days, weeks, hashing and rehashing it and still arriving at mediocre results. So the question is, what's more valuable to them? Their time and what they could be doing with it, building their company, talking to clients, um, improving their product, or sitting and doing something that's not a core competency. Yeah, I like the way you explained that because it is true. It brought, brought me uh, back to times when like I'm dreading having to do something, right? And then I'm like, all of a sudden, like something hits me in the head or someone tells me, you know, why don't you get somebody else to do it, outsource that. Oh and my I God. Do it, and I do it. I'm like, oh my God. How so did I wait until now? I mean, I wait? Yeah. Our lives and- are so incredibly busy, especially as business owners and, and, Anything I that doesn't require my specific core skills and talents, I am very happy to outsource, and I'm very blessed that I'm able to to pay somebody else to do things that they're so much better than me, um, and and it frees up my time to grow my business and to do something more and to really be. It's it's in the same way. Like I'll work with a lot of technologies that, like I worked with a company that has a, a technology. Um, that frees up the data science resources in the company. And there's such a shortage of data scientists. And there's so many um, and, and so many different figures in the company need what they do. Um, and data scientists are wasting their precious time answering things that could be totally automated. The same thing today with doctors and nurses. There's a massive shortage of doctors and nurses. Um, so to the point where we're going to be in big trouble in, in a decade from now, because we're just not going to have enough to cover it. And 54 hours a year are spent filling out repeated 20 page PDFs for credentialing. 
54 hours. Is that a good use of a doctor's time? No. Can a machine do it? Absolutely. So that's another company that I worked with that's enabling that. And it's just like, why, why people that have spent so many years training and learning and doing should be doing things that, that a machine or someone else could easily be doing? Yeah. You know, uh, what a lot, I don't think I've ever mentioned on it. This is like my 80th podcast for the Entrepreneur VA. They don't know a lot. No, I don't never mentioned it on this podcast, but I do a second podcast called the nonprofit MBA <laughs> podcast because, um, uh, my my business, uh, uh, we provide lines of credit to both small businesses and nonprofits. So, what it's interesting is, and I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you're, you know, if you ever realized this, but that the term storytelling in the mm-hmm. nonprofit sector that's been going on for years, de- like decades. Mm-hmm. You know, they mm-hmm. were they've been on top of that for ages. Well, it's um, easy there too because you've got a real emotional do. there. Yeah, um, that's why I love working with biomed, life science, medical device startups because they have such an advantage of of the human condition and story and our fear of mortality and people getting sick and wanting to improve our quality of life. So it's it's a much easier story to tell. Yeah, and and whereas with businesses. I don't think they're as aware of the terminology of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we all maybe know like that Steve Jobs was a great storyteller, so to speak. And, you know, maybe because he's, a, you know, the face of technology in many regards. But um, and I don't even know if he was a, an incredible storyteller. He certainly was when he got up on stage. But, yeah. And it um, took him many years to get there. Yeah. Many. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it is interesting how um, some industries have really adopted well to this concept of storytelling, but yet businesses, uh, you know, they, they really didn't, don't have a knowledge of that that much. What, you know, why is that? Um, so first of all, let's, let's kind of just break down what storytelling is. And, and so maybe we'll clarify that. So there's two different vectors of storytelling that goes into business messaging. One is the structure. These are stories that have been told for thousands of years in the same matter, all the way from Greek tragedies to Shakespeare, to Chekhov, to modern day films. They're told in acts, they're told in chunks, and there's a very specific sequence. We know in an action adventure movie, pretty much we know what's going to happen at the end, but we don't know how we're going to get there. But there is, you know, the, the, the way it starts off with the problem, the villain, the something that, that happens, the explosion, the kidnapping, the, the, the time ticking until uh, the asteroid hits earth. And then we have the hero that emerges that's going to do that. Then we have the hero's plan of action. And then we have, okay, the aftermath, what happens then. If you structure your business message in that way, whether you're selling or raising funding, it's it's nailed because it's it's so primal. It's the way our brains are conditioned and wired to take in information. And then what we can do is we can weave in stories because stories have a way of resonating with people, of making them go, oh yeah, that's right. That reminds me of the time and it creating engagement and agreement. Uh, I remember stories, origin stories of, of, of founders, why they started the company that I worked with 10, 12 years ago. I remember the story. I don't remember their facts and figures and data and, not, data and numbers. Um, so 
Um, why is it that people don't do it? First of all, they don't know the structure of storytelling. Um, and, and usually people think, well, I only have a set amount of time. I don't want to waste their time. Let me talk about me and my product as much as possible. Eh, wrong answer, because then you miss the emotional engagement of why do they need you? What's missing in their world? What's the gap in the opportunity? And unless people see themselves in the equation, they could care less about your product really, or your service, unless it's something that they realize is meaningful to them and it's something that they need. Um, and then people, so so first of all, I think storytelling is a biz, big misnomer. They don't know that it's the structure, but then also weaving the stories in that illustrate the problem, especially it's easy if it's a medical problem and you can tell about, you know, someone who uh, had an incurable um, chronic dis disorder and they have to manage it all the time and how hard it is. So I, I work with a client that he was inspired by his father who in his fifties um, developed diabetes and he saw him go from someone who celebrated life and loved food to having to really watch it. And, and he's, he's like, I got to be able to do something to bring him back his zest of life. And he set out on this quest and he, he, he ended up developing a series of, um, of supplements but also a support community for diabetics that bring their insulin down, but also make their way of life much, much easier and much more powerful. So it started off from a very personal place. Not everybody has that personal story. It also might be something that happened in the world, something that happened to a client of yours that you can tell, but it's something that has to be relatable that people go like, oh yeah, I can see that. Has there ever, ever been a client that you've had where, there, it was very dry. There really wasn't a personal story there. Because I agree oh, with you. Oh, I mean, sure. Like, it doesn't have to be a personal story, but it has to show us even the most dry thing is meaningful to some audience. So yeah. if we're talking about developers, which most of us are not, but they have a pain that's costing the company a lot of money and a lot of downtime, that's interesting. That's meaningful. So you have to pull out the meaning for the audience that you're talking to because then it'll never be boring. Investors' yeah. language of love is numbers. If you can show them that there's big money to be had here, there's big shifts to be had, there's numbers of people wanting this, that's a win. If you're talking to somebody who needs it and understands it and you show your understanding of what's happening in their um, their DevOps department, oh, they get it, but you could kind of tell it in a different way. <laughs> Tell me, tell me a story. Uh, tell me a story of your most difficult client. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, most difficult though. In what way? Uh, like to, to to crack the story or to yeah. work with them? Yeah. Oh goodness! Um, I mean, I would, I would imagine. What was the word I used to remember? The hardest client, the hardest people to get to sell to. Let's just say that way. Are amiable people? I think is that the right word? Amiable? Uh, no, they they don't show any emotion. They don't show any. They don't reveal anything. Uh -huh. um, so I, I mean, I would think that anybody who has that type of personality that doesn't like not well, emotion. I mean, my process is based on exploration. Like they know they're coming for two hours and they know uh -huh. that they better give me what I have. Sometimes I have to do a lot of digging to find a story that pulls it all together. What's usually tough is when there's several different fronts of several different problems for several different audiences that they're solving. And we want to avoid being kind of scattered everywhere. So we have to kind of synthesize and prioritize what is our lead in story. So it's choosing one narrative and then opening it, 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 it up. Um, 
I mean, sometimes it's just, I'm breaking my head and it's not coming together. The story is not coming together. And those have been points where I've been like, you know what? Something's missing here. I don't think this is ready. I don't think this is fully cooked. Um, Either I don't have all the data or, or... or there's just too many, like I, I've said to clients after half an hour, I'm going to stop the session now because this is just not, and and usually it ends up that, you know, they were either too early in telling their story or they were trying to cover too many bases at once. Yeah. And those are both things that, that show me the story's not ready to be told. You want to have the right timing. People are like, okay, so when should I come to you? So I usually say the best thing is when you know you're ready to raise funding, you have a minimal vi- minimum viable product or you have traction or you have... Today, you can. It's easier to raise just from an idea, but you have to have a phenomenal track record or something truly unique. Um, so you're ready to be meeting with, with, with investors, and they're not going to say you're too early. And they still might say you're too early, but you have something to go on. Don't waste your time if you're not there yet. Try to get as far as you can on your own before you get it. Raising funding is not the end all be all of success for a business. It is, it's a, it's a milestone. It's going to enable you to do a lot more, but it's a milestone. It's not the end goal. Yeah. You know, I, I think the process though, too, of trying to put together your story can really help define your company. And I don't mean define it for a client or divide define it for an investor. I think, you know, young companies, just sometimes they they're scattered or they're all over the place or and they really you know you should be able to tell your what you do in one mm-hmm. sentence mm-hmm. right oh, yeah yeah you know, simple and solution I, statement i call really, it really so really you should be able to tell it once and if you can't do it if you have to spend a paragraph or two so someone says so what does your company do again and you have to spend two or three paragraphs telling them what it does you don't have it down, right? And I feel like what you're talking about, yes, it has the benefit of raising money. It can have the benefit of, well, you know, getting more clients, whatever the thing is. But it also can help really keep you focused on this. And it must be really interesting where you come to, you listen to someone after those two hours and you come back to them and they don't know. And then you come back to them and you say, this is what you do. And this is what you, and they're like, oh, I didn't really realize it was that simple what we did. Has that happened? So, yeah. So, and and another thing that usually happens is we'll be working on a narrative and they'll be like, you know what? I used to tell the story that way at the beginning. And then I, 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 that's what I call the patchwork pitch. Uh, they've been told by so many people that, oh, you need to add this. And, and oh, so they'll go and add a slide. Oh, you need to add that. They'll go and add a slide. Oh, you need to add that. They're, so just because the one person's opinion, they've bloated their slide deck with so many slides that are that may have been relevant for that one specific person, but they've completely lost touch with their core story and what made them unique. So it's almost sometimes I think of it like you find in an attic, an old antique rock rocking chair that's covered with like seven layers of tacky paint and you sand it down and you sand it down and you sand it down until you get to the basics of the wood and then you polish it and you make it beautiful. Yeah, I get it. Is it now? So now after you you do those two hours with, of the interview with the the client, is it, is it verbal or is it uh, written? 
Um, it's so the, the, I write for them. I, I talk them through it, but I also write for them. Mm. Um, and I, um, uh, so, so I'm giving them their words. I'm scripting out their words for them. Um, so, uh, I, I, so they have their words, they can repeat it. I want it to be language that's accessible to them without words that feel like don't roll off their tongue. So we're talking it through. I'm getting their buy-in for what I'd like to write. They say, great. And then I just start writing and it just kind of, it's like a muse that kind of flows through me and the words just come tumbling out. And then I say, okay, now take a look and see. And then they'll say, that's great. Um, can we tweak that and change that word? Can we, can we add that? Oh, we need to clarify that. And it's, it's a real give and take. So I'm helping them create their own message. I'm transparent. It's not me. It's not that somebody's going to read this and be like, oh, Donna wrote that. No, I want it to be theirs, but there is a structure it's just like building a house. You've got a frame and you've got a foundation um, and then you can decorate, but you kind of have to have certain things in place in order for the structure to be sound. How many times have you been, uh, is it, I mean, you're, you're doing this great work and you're doing it for the safe for a pitch. They're trying to raise money. And how many times have you noticed that they don't have that same message on their website they're not communicated it the same way in their sales calls. I mean, I mean, you may not see that, but you know, it, it's is it common for for owners of a company not to use that same message that you're working on throughout the organization? Well, what usually happens is we'll be focusing on one specific deliverable, like the investor pitch deck or the sales deck, and then they'll grab nuggets from what we've written and put it in different places. Mm. I would say it's multi-purpose writing. So suddenly they'll be able to put this on their about us of the website or, or on a sales brochure or um, on their website as a landing page. So I always say once we've cracked the DNA of the story for one audience, it's even easier and faster to, to get the others. But we still have to think, okay, so who's looking at the website? Who are we talking to and making sure that it's there? But a lot of times they'll find the DNA of their story and it's such a good fit that suddenly everything just pops open. They're able to use that language to communicate to many different mediums. And that's very powerful. Is Is... 90% of your work usually with pitches uh, for raising funds. Uh, I mean, yeah. I know you're out in the Silicon Valley area. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. So, I mean, I can yeah. imagine that that goes on a lot. And I've done yeah. a lot of that. I mean, I haven't ever pitched for <coughs> all my companies have been self-funded. So, wow. So, yeah. So, I, hasn't, I haven't had to use angel Good funding. For you. And, and, it, and well, you know, honestly. And you've never taken any investor. Never, never. Fabulous. No. Yeah. And, um, you know, the uh, – but I, I, when I was between companies once, I uh, for three years I was really involved in in getting pitched. You know, like I was, you know, I was an, I'm an angel. Fund, I was an angel. Fund, well, I looked into angel funding, so you know, I've had gotten three, four, five hundred pitches, and um, that's how I met my business partner. I have a business partner in two of my businesses right now, and he's great. He's fantastic, and um, that's how we met each other. But um, uh, you know, and I also started my own angel funding group where uh -huh. I had people, you know, uh, people right. coming in. But so I, I, I'm very familiar with that space. Um, so, to, uh, so uh, you know, is it more common that you are doing, um, 
your work for people who are looking to raise money? Um, that's that that happens to be um, the biggest need that clients come to me for. Um, it it it. It's not the only thing I do, but I just, it's, it's, I've done so many and the word spread. So a lot of it is word of mouth. It's like, here's this pitch whisper, this pitch. It's a great business. Yeah. And, and I mean, so a lot of, they honestly have a lot of money and, you know. Well, they either have a lot of money or they need to get a lot of money. Well, and, they do. And, but I and it, yeah. um, so either way, like we talked about before, they realize that their time is their most precious asset. Yeah. Um, I do sales decks and I do website content and I, I love writing speeches and keynotes and, and that's the real storytelling when you can bring it together if you have 10 minutes or 40 minutes and, and how you bring that out um but yeah but i'd say by far the biggest need is investor decks that's that's my meat and potatoes so since you're out in silicon valley a little different than i'm gonna ask you a question it's maybe a little outside of the storytelling idea over the last two years with covid did you notice (laughs) um so let me ask you a different way an open-ended question what have you noticed different the last two years in regards to people pitching? Um, and it can be in anything that you want to talk about, then that it, that it wasn't that way pre-COVID. So I think um, there's been a big shift in behavior. There's been a big shift in um, the state of the world. It's affected so many different industries. A lot of industries have had to rethink themselves um, and pivot. And what's most important is to show your urgency and your relevance now. And it's not about COVID, 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 but it's about, okay, COVID as a catalyst, as a catalyzer, COVID as a magnifying glass. What did we see? And it's things that have affected digital health and things that have affected supply chain and things that have affected um, e-commerce and things that, you know, with the great resignation and people leaving and starting businesses. It's not that this wasn't there before. But what it did was it pushed things much faster and much further than anybody ever anticipated. And it also revealed a lot of cracks in the in the foundation of a lot of places from healthcare to 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 brick and mortar. Um, and it, it, we can't hide anymore. It's like we've all been, the veil has been removed. Okay, now what do we do about it? And sustainability is massive now. It's not like it wasn't wrong, but I think people have have realized so much more in the past few years that this is a real thing and we need to do something about it and the whole move to carbon zero. So it's finding a way to show that what you're doing is super relevant now. And I call this the silver bullet. Look for the trends and opportunities in the market that show that you are a very timely opportunity. So, yeah, so, so what you're saying, just let me test my understanding, is prior to two years ago, investors were more willing to look, look a longer view three years out, five years out, whereas right now the investors are saying, I, I'm going to invest in companies that the payoff is going to be much sooner. Is that what you're saying? I, I think there's been a shift in mindset of Investors, once upon a time, it was like they want to make their 10x and they want to see a company that goes the long haul. I think a lot more investors are looking for the faster, maybe smaller, but maybe not exit. Um, Everything seems to be moving faster. Deals are closing much faster. Uh, Investments are happening much faster. There's a lot more investment wars. Um, And again, you want to show why are you 
a contender in in that space that that you really can can make a difference. So, um, you know, I guess a big part of storytelling is creating a sense of urgency oh, yeah. that you ha- that you have to move now. Yeah, right? and, and investors suffer from FOMO, whether they want to admit it or not. Nobody wants to be that one that missed out on the next big oh. thing. So you need to awaken that sense of like this, how big, and, and it's also showing your bigger vision, where you can go with this. And a lot of times um, entrepreneurs will say to me, and especially women, unfortunately, yeah, but we're not there yet. I don't want to lie about it. So it's not lying, but it's painting the picture of your bigger vision. Of course, you're here now, but this is where you can go. And this is where your technology, if it's working here, will then be able to be adapted to a much bigger thing. Ask yourself five years from now, what's the seismic shift that you will have made in your market? What will they be describing you as in the article of TechCrunch that comes out after you've either sold your company or or, or IPO'd or had some major deal signed? And you're known as the company that did this. And there you go. That's what you're shooting for. So I like the way you did that. It was interesting. You said is like, you, you know, you always, you, I always tend to look at the end first and my work my way backward. Right. So, okay, this is the end result I want. And then, then I figure out the steps on what I need to do to get there. So I like what you said, which was, you know, what would they write about in tech magazine, tech crunch, uh, about your company once you sold it, you know, I, right? It, that would be interesting exercise, you know, because you are thinking the end first. It might cause, catch someone's attention to really start thinking about it. So after you do your two minute interview, um, uh, two sorry, two hour <laughs> interview, um, <laughs> how long does it usually typically take for you to come up with the, all the work that you need to do for, let's say, for a deck? Um, so it's actually not a two hour interview. It's a two hour working session. We're actually creating the deck in real time. And people are, people have trouble grasping that sometimes. (laughs) I can't see because it takes weeks and I'm like, yeah, but I do this every day, a couple times a day. And, and they're like, yeah, but how is it two hours? So sometimes I think people hire me just to satisfy the curiosity of how can this be done in two hours? (laughs) Wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's all happening in real time. That's why I want them to come meticulously prepared and send it to me ahead of time so I can get prepared and we just do it and we run with it. Now, do they, do you have someone like a, um, a graphic designer that you work with, you know, work who can put the slides together in a really nice way? Do you have mm-hmm. something that you work with like, like that? So as well? re- remember I said that I'll cook a beautiful meal. I don't know how to plate it. It won't look very nice. Okay. <laughs> That's where the graphic designer will come in. Yeah. And it's amazing how important that is and how many investors I've seen like my eyes, my eyes. So we want to make sure that it looks great. It looks like a million dollar, billion dollar product on your slides as well. We eat with our eyes. So I've, I've worked with a few phenomenal um, uh, graphic designers. That they don't work for me, but I've sent clients their way. They've sent clients my way for years and they're just, they just know how to, it's as if I think sometimes they peek inside my head and see what I would like to see only and then know how to bring it to life. Um, but there's a lot of tools today that if you can't afford a designer or you want to try to do it yourself or you have someone in staff, Canva and SlideBean and SlideBot and Pitch.com and all of these different things that are slide enhancers. But there's really no excuse for shoddy looking slides or slides that look like basically a Word document that's been copied and pasted onto a slide. Yeah. No, no point in that. Yeah. And all the angel, I was like, one of the groups I belonged to was the New York Angels. And um, they, you know, one of the things we would tell people is, 
don't come to this session with, with more than 10 slides. We don't want to see any more than 10 slides. That was it. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, is well, that- I don't agree with that. I have a vehement argument with Mr. Kawasaki about that. Not that we've ever discussed it, but in my mind, yeah. um, because what had has led to is, oh, I can only have 10 slides. Okay. Let's see how much we can shove into 10 slides. Yeah. My tenant is one big idea per slide. I'd rather you have more slides with less on them than fewer slides that look like a DMV eye chart. So it's about telling the story. Nobody's sitting there counting your slides. Don't send an 80 slide deck or a 50 slide deck, but if it's around 20, you're fine. Yeah, Maybe I think um, do a version to send out that's different than the one that you're presenting. Yeah, you know, I also belong to Koretsu, um, and Koretsu was more um, science based. And I think that we didn't have that rule for science based companies. You know, it was just that's a little bit more complicated. The, mm. You know, New York Angels tended to do more technology stuff. Mm. So it was, you know, it, it was easier to communicate that vision, I think, in less than 10 slides. Um, I don't, you know, we didn't have a golden rule about it. It was just, the, you know, recommendations that we had kind of seen over time. Where, where do you think, um, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to somebody who's out in your area as well. He's, he's a strategic AI strategic um, uh, consultant. And, and uh, he was saying to me, it's kind of off the subject, but uh, that Silicon Valley, Valley is dead. From an, oh, energy, no. from an energy standpoint, that's oh, what he. No, not it's at not, all. Not at no, all. I no. think people are are um, are obituarizing. Is that a word? Uh, Silicon Valley way too soon. Um, I do think that the face of it has changed, um, but uh, I I would definitely it's definitely not dead. It has opened its borders to be a lot broader than it was. I mean, if if a year ago. Um, uh, not a year ago, two years ago, um, people, uh, investors from Sand Hill Road would not see anyone that was less, you know, over 10 miles away from them. Today, that's changed. And that's great because it's opened up um, a whole new kind of uh, way of, of, of doing business. And, uh, and, and, and finding these great, amazing technologies overseas or out of state. Um, so it's definitely opened up more options. And I was just talking about this, uh, with my husband the other day, we're taking a hike that that's always a good way to, and he has a startup and he said that he thinks that now when Silicon Valley bounces back, it's good. It's like, we're in a Renaissance right now. So there's a lot more creators and a lot more artists and a lot more makers and a lot more things that are happening. So Silicon Valley is going to be less about the big tech giants and more about the companies that are the creators that come here to really bring something new to the table. Again, do they have to relocate here and and, and move here? They might have to have a headquarters here, but I, I think there'll be less relocation for the tech giants. Yeah. People are realizing you can work remotely. Yeah. But it's exciting I, to see. It's, it's yeah, I think he was saying, I think he was kind of saying what you're saying though too. And that is it, it, when he said dead, he just meant the energy. And I haven't been to Silicon Valley, not really, but I haven't been to Silicon Valley, but it was what he was kind of saying was that the ink, like the, uh, the, the energy level that's out there now has changed because there is a lot of people who aren't living there now, you know, like they're working from their homes. Interesting. I mean, I can't say that I've been to a, uh, uh, a, a, an in-person networking event in a yeah. while, um, 
or uh, yeah, it, it's definitely changed a lot of the ways that we've um, that we business. do business and that yeah. we, um, I, and I, I know that there are in-person things, but, but the fact that people are able now to close deals without being in the same room and, and that level of trust required um, when you, when you, enter a room and shake a hand and now handshakes are kind of out the window as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's really changed. So it's going to be interesting to see how this has impacted um, our change and, and how we're looking at things differently now. Great. Well, listen, it was a interesting conversation, learned a I'm lot, which you. is why I love doing these podcasts. I like to learn. Um, so I would like to thank so very much Donna Griffith from Donna Griffith Corporate Storytelling for coming on today's podcast. If you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. Also, I forgot to mention you know, if you liked uh, today's podcast or the podcast as I do, please uh, give us a review. Um, you know, it's funny. I've never read the reviews um, and I, <laughs> I read them the other day and I was shocked. They were, you know, to be honest oh. with you, they're all five stars. And I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, awesome. it was pretty good. So I was, I was psyched. So, so Donna, if, uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, um, how would they go about doing that? So best to go through my website, Donna Griffith, uh, uh, com, no H. Um, yep, it's <laughs> G, a, yeah, it's G-R-I-F-F-I-T. So yes. Donna Griffith. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's the best way to get a hold of you. Yes, that is the best way to get a hold of me. And, um, you can, you can directly just reach out. There's a let's talk button or email me at Donna at DonnaGriffith.com. Please feel free to use under the resources section. There's a lot of goodies there that'll really help. Um, and also anybody mentioning the MBA podcast, um, will get a special discount on my services. So, oh, well, maybe um, I'll mention it that way I can get a discount. <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, cool. It was a good, right. very interesting conversation. I want to thank everyone for listening. Also, if you're interested in getting any business ideas, I tweet daily at S Halasnik, which is my name, S-H-A-L-A-S-N-I-K, 25 years of experience. I know a little bit of thing about entrepreneurship. Um, and, you know, I know the stuff that's that's uh, that you don't read in the books. So, you know, it's kind of fun. Um, everybody have a fantastic day. I know it's the start of a new year. And uh, because of that, let's make sure that we have a better new year than we did last year, because last year was certainly a rough year um, for, for many of us. And, uh, you know, we got to make this fun again. Yes. Everybody have a great day.